The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. In order to thrive in today's competitive business market, you need to constantly adapt to change. In other words, reinvent yourself and your company. Welcome to Business Reinvention with host Nancy Lynn. This hour will have you listening to and thinking like the successful business leaders of today. Now, here is your host, Nancy Lynn. Welcome back to Business Reinvention. This is Nancy Lin. We bring you thought-provoking ideas from a wide range of industries so that you can connect the dots and stay innovative and competitive. Well, I'm glad to be back to work today. Um, I just moved this weekend, and I have to say that talking about innovation is so much more fun. <laughs> I'm so done with my packing. Um, but when I was packing, I had a chance to go through my drawers and found some newspaper clippings from a few years ago about companies that are no longer in operation. Kodak and Blockbuster were just two of them. Um, and newspapers um, themselves are also fast becoming irrelevant. Um, irrelevant excuse me. Um, I think it's all a reflection of how the pace of change um, has accelerated. And as competition intensifies, um, innovation becomes more important than ever. But it's something that few companies excel at, at least not consistently. So what's the secret to innovation? And what's new in the field? Well, let's hear from Doc Solomon, an innovation consultant who was also the Senior Vice President for Corporate Development at Apple and Chief Technology Officer of IDEO. Hello, Doc. Hi, it's an how honor are you, to Nancy? have you here. Welcome oh, to the show. Thanks very much. I'm happy to be here. So I know you've been doing innovation for a really long time, so I'm curious about your perspective in terms of how innovation has changed over the last few decades. Hmm. Well, you know, I'm not sure that the the actual goal of innovation has changed very much, but certainly the the approaches to innovation have changed. I think one big massive change in the past few years has been a movement to what we call open innovation, which is uh, crowdsourcing innovation and letting companies bring in people from the outside world in a variety of ways, either in person or on the web. Uh, or a combination to help them innovate. And that's certainly one of the most exciting developments we've had in the last few years. Mm. And what do you think is the biggest misperception companies have today um, about innovation? Well, I think that um, for many companies, and this certainly isn't the case in Silicon Valley, but many companies outside of the Valley in particular and around the world, some of them still think that innovation is optional. And there's, a, there's an old saying, I guess it's an American saying, that you don't hear very much anymore, but you still do in some companies. That sometimes people say, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. And that is the opposite of innovation. With innovation, you have to break your own business model and, and build a new one. And if you don't do that, you're, you're likely to go out of business as the companies you, you mentioned, which were certainly big, huge, successful companies at one time. 
Yeah, and so change can definitely be really, really hard, right? So yeah. I think denial is very common sometimes, and it's a huge barrier to innovation. Mm-hmm. So how do you help your clients determine if they are innovative enough, and does that clarity help them overcome denial? Well, oftentimes it does. I think um, uh, by the time companies get to me, usually they're they're somewhat over the stage of denial, which I think you're right, is, is one of the biggest hurdles, ironically, to innovation. But um, usually they need to be slightly more convinced. And the best way I've found to do that is to actually talk to their employees and to have some way of communicating from their employees back to the senior management. And what we always find, especially in very big companies, is that people really have great ideas and they really want to innovate in general. Not everybody, but lots of people. And they're pretty much blocked at every stage from working through their innovation and helping bring it to market. So that's been the best way I've seen to uh, let them hear it from their own employees. It's a lot more credible than hearing it from me. Mm-hmm. So I, I hear over and over again, you know, the role of the leadership is really important. You know, yeah. and innovation a lot of time really has to come from the top in, in terms of like providing a supportive culture. But what if you were a middle manager? I mean, what can you do about it to make sure that your voice gets heard? Mm-hmm. Well, I think a lot of times middle managers can just go ahead and and begin to innovate without having to, um, you know, to raise the, the question. I think oftentimes they might be uh, a little anxious about it, maybe even scared. But there's no reason why middle managers can't start to innovate just today and to try to change the organization. I think what they'll find that I've seen many times is that other people get really jealous of organizations that are innovative and have built a climate, as as you mentioned earlier, for innovation, and then they want to join in. And so it becomes viral within organizations. But let's say that a manager in the middle of an organization isn't comfortable just beginning. I think what they need to do is they need to um, both work from the top as well as from the bottom of the organization. Because really you can't have innovation without support from the top, but you also need to have people at every level of the organization that would like to change and would like to do things in in perhaps a better and more effective way. Mm, so it sounds like building your business case with the help with, uh, from other um, people in the companies and, and do a really compelling presentation to the top management to communicate that. Sure, I'd say a compelling presentation is certainly always good, but there are some things that are even better than than our typical PowerPoint presentations, and that would be helping leadership and also the, the workers at every level to see with their own eyes what innovation might look like. Mm-hmm. The best way to do that is to have them visit other companies that are innovative, even in different fields from the ones that they are in. We, we call that usually um, analogous observations because we might go, let's say we're in a, a health-related organization, we might take, take them to the local recycling company in the Bay Area to see a very innovative example and to get inspired by that. So I'd say helping people get inspired by looking around them in the world and finding great examples can really make a big difference, and I'd say a much bigger difference than your typical business presentation or business case. Mm, That's a great suggestion. I think seeing is believing. It certainly Uh, is. 
<laughs> um, so one of the things that you mentioned at the beginning is that open innovation is becoming very common. Um, yeah. But what are some of the biggest hurdles that companies run into when trying to co-create with external mm-hmm. uh, partners? Um, do you have examples of how some companies address those challenges? Yeah, well, I'd say probably the biggest hurdle that companies um, experience initially is uh, a lot of people who are doubting whether that's even possible, whether anybody outside of our company could possibly be smarter than we are. And of course, we all know that, uh, that you know, none of us is as smart as all of us. And uh, bringing in ideas from the outside can be really powerful. <clears throat> Excuse me. Then I think the second hurdle that they face is a hurdle about intellectual property. And companies are concerned, well, if I open up this to the outside world, won't people want to own their ideas and will want to own those ideas at the same time and there's going to be a conflict. And, and fortunately, many organizations have dealt with this issue very successfully. I'd say one of the pioneers in this field is Lilly, the, the international drug company. Mm-hmm. And they, they started... Uh, an internal innovation platform for open innovation that, um, that many years ago, I'd say probably around 10 years ago, and they did it because they realized, and I think this was really forwardly thinking, that um, they couldn't think of all the ideas themselves and they needed help from the outside world. Often their innovations had to do with finding a particular molecule that they could use to have a, a certain effect that they wanted in a drug that they were working on. And by opening it up to the outside world, they found that people came to them with ideas, often ideas that their scientists had been working on for weeks or months or even years and couldn't come up with answers to them. By opening it up to the outside, there might be a scientist in a former Soviet republic, or I've even heard stories that maybe in North Korea that had ideas and wanted to contribute them. And in return, they got some kind of a reward. So they turned that into uh, an external company that they spun out of Lilly that's called Innocentive. And Innocentive has done a really interesting job of, uh, of crowdsourcing innovation and overcoming the IP issue by very carefully vetting any ideas that come to them before they turn it over to the client to make sure it wasn't stolen from another employer or a university or, or some, some other place. And uh, I think it's worked quite well. Mm. And what are other types of innovation that you've seen that are very effective besides open innovation? Well, you know, I, I think that um, the most effective innovation is really very simple. It's it's really um, being open to people in an organization contributing in different ways. And um, I've seen this not only in businesses, but also in government organizations, in educational institutions, and even nonprofit organizations. And I think this is becoming a big deal for organizations. And one of the best ways to open up innovation within an organization is to create some kind of an event or an ongoing process where anybody in the organization who has an idea can contribute it. And then there's some process for the ideas to be looked at and evaluated. And then some kind of incentive given back to the person who created the idea. And many of the clients that I've worked with have developed these processes. They don't have to be elaborate and they don't even have to have really high technology to do them. The main thing is to really listen to the ideas, to um, 
get back to people once they have submitted ideas and to encourage people to pursue their dream of innovation because many times people aren't concerned with just getting money they're concerned with really having an impact and enabling people to have that impact I've seen to be extremely powerful Mm, that is such a good point. Um, so one question I had at the very beginning when I was um, doing the introduction was that, yeah, some companies are you know, good at starting innovation, but keeping it up is really hard. Um, so the suggestion that you just described, um, how do you, I mean, have you seen companies being able to kind of keep it going consistently or do you have to do something differently after a while to just kind of keep that passion going? Yeah, I think you're right. That's a I think it's really easy for a company to have a big contest and to launch an internal website. And there's many you can choose from that are that are available on the market and start getting employees to submit ideas. The hard part is to really follow through, even in the short term. But the longest, the the uh, long term is even harder. So I think I've seen it happen in companies, but the companies have open to morphing their approach over time, trying different approaches, changing over time, maybe adjusting the the rules of the game, whatever they might happen to be, to encourage more people to participate and to encourage people to participate longer term and to get more involved. Um, and there's many different ways. I'd say Google is probably one of the, um, the most iconic examples of internal innovation processes where they have the what they call the Google 20, where people can actually take up to 20% of their time to work on ideas that really inspire them. And um, I think, you know, Google has, has uh, developed this over time. They still have it after many years, but they're, they're constantly changing it and developing it to make sure that, that the innovations are worth it and that people are, are doing meaningful work. Mm, so keep tweaking it and keeping it fresh. Um, so, big companies sometimes struggle with innovation, and some of them choose to acquire technologies from other companies. Uh, and now we're seeing more and more of them actually opening up their own incubators to work with startups. So, I guess outsourcing innovation may be an effective way to innovation for big companies, but is it sufficient? And, and what are the pros and cons? Well, a good that's a kind of innovation. You know what, Doug? Actually, I'm going to interrupt you because I, I could see that we're having a little bit of trouble hearing you. And so we're just going to go ahead and take a break right now so that we can continue um, with this conversation after the break and make sure we capture all the insight that you're providing us. You're listening to Business Reinvention with Nancy Lin. For more information about the show, please follow me on Twitter at BizReinvention or go to BizReinvention.com. We'll be back after these messages. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. In today's marketplace, your ability to open up the way you think and adapt to change allows your business to stay ahead of curve and perform at a higher level. At Change Agent SF, we can provide you with the tools and coaching to become an effective leader to grow your business. Contact us today at 415-322-9073 or email Nancy Lynn at info at changeagentsf.com for more information. Transform your leadership and business with Change Agent SF. 
Today's business marketplace is becoming increasingly global thanks to technologies that didn't even exist a few short years ago. Your business might be a startup or you might be one of the global 500. Either way, you're probably looking at customers and competitors in faraway regions. Listen for Global Reach with host Tay Rivez as she brings together experts, ideas, and listeners to help you anywhere in the world. Global Reach is broadcast every Thursday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Business Reinvention with Nancy Lynn. To join in on this week's discussion, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Now, back to Business Reinvention. So uh, before the break, we're having a little bit of um, um, uh, sound quality issues. So I wanted to go back to the question that I raised um, to make sure that we hear from you. Um, so a lot of big companies um, sometimes struggle with innovation, and some of them choose to acquire technologies from other companies. And now some of them are starting their own incubators in order to work with startups. Um, so I'm curious to hear from you, you know, is, is outsourcing innovation an effective way, and is it sufficient? And what are the pros and cons? Yeah. Well, I think it's definitely an effective way, and it's it's just another example of open innovation. It's uh, a way of opening up your doors and your windows and allowing other people to come in to a company and, and to help bring in new ideas. But I don't think it's sufficient. I think um, in order for it to be sufficient, a company has to be open to, to different cultures, and diff- especially different cultures of innovation. And as you know, Nancy, uh, and all of us in Silicon Valley know, the startup culture is very, very different from a more established big corporation culture. So if a big corporation can't uh, open up to different ways of working, then I think they're in danger of wasting their money on open innovation through the, the acquisition method. But companies that have been successful at it, I think... Uh, are pretty good because they um, they're willing to let people work in different ways. They're willing to have pe- people work in different processes, maybe not such rigid processes as they normally have. And if they're really interested in learning from the startups that they bring in to the incubators, I think there's a really good chance that they're going to be able to adapt and eventually learn to be more innovative on their own. So you kind of touched on the point that, you know, really the fundamental shift has to come from cultural change. So how do you build a culture that supports innovation? Okay, well, I think there's a number of ways to do it. Um, The first thing that you said earlier on the show is um, to get rid of denial. So I think that has to happen from the, the leadership of an organization. They have to say, okay, we admit it. We're not very innovative. We need to learn how to do it in a different way. And um, that's a big change for a lot of organizations. Then I, I think, um, secondly, organizations need to um, give permission to their employees to innovate. Today, in many organizations, employees come to their managers and they say, I have this great idea. It'll save us a lot of money or it'll get a new product to market quicker than we've ever done it before. And and in many, many cases, sadly, managers say, sorry, 
you know, we've got too much to do. We've got a big backlog of orders. Just go and do your work. Forget about that innovation stuff. And um, I think we need to be able to say to employees, you've got an idea. We want to give you a chance to make that idea into reality or at least to test see if it might be possible, and then we'll see where it goes from there. So giving permission is, I think, really important. Part of that is provide some time and some resources for employees to to think about innovations. Many times, employees are just driven so hard to a very strict set of metrics in terms of deliverables that they just have no time to think. I think that's where examples like, like Google's 20% comes in and can be very important. And it can be done at many, many different levels and and different ways. Another thing I think is really important to build a culture of innovation is to really understand the the culture within the organization. And oftentimes it takes someone from the outside like me to come in because everyone who who lives there is is so used to the, the culture that they can't really examine it themselves. But once you look at a culture, you can understand the blockages to innovation, and you can un- also understand what really drives people to succeed in that organization. I call that the currency of an organization, mm-hmm. whether financial or not. And once you understand that, you can build on those motivations and then encourage people to, to innovate and create this platform. And then I think um, there's two other things that... The next to last one would be to open up to the outside world, and, and that's the kind, the idea of open innovation, or at least looking at other companies that are innovative, learning from them. And then finally, I think leadership of companies at all levels needs to set an example themselves of being innovators. If they tell people to innovate, but they do the opposite, it's not going to be very persuasive. And we've seen cases around the world where leadership has really changed and, and employees noticed it, and it really made a difference in how innovative they've been able to be. Mm, so you really have to walk the talk. Absolutely. Yeah. So do you think it's better to work on incremental innovation or radical innovation, and how do you know which one is right for you? Okay. Well, that's a great question. So um, you're alluding to uh, a framework that, that's been used by IDEO and, and other companies as well that looks at different kinds of innovation. And essentially, there are three different kinds of innovation. Incremental innovation, which would be sort of painting product that you color or changing the pricing or the packaging. And then there's, there's innovation that is, um, you know, more on the order of adapting current products. So it could be, sometimes I call it evolutionary innovation. So that could be taking an existing product and extending it to a new market or taking your existing market and creating new products and, and services for them. And and then finally, there's the disruptive or revolutionary innovation. And I think they're all really important. It's hard to say which one is more important than the other. I think each company needs to look at their own skills and see where are they the best at those kinds of innovation. And most likely, they're pretty good at incremental innovation, and uh, many people are great at that. They they might be actually pretty good at evolutionary innovation, but most companies, especially big ones, are not very good at disruptive or, or revolutionary inf- innovation. And so each company needs to kind of assess where they are where they have the right skills and motivations, and then create a portfolio for themselves, just like an investment portfolio with probably a lot of their innovation work put into incremental, 
because that's usually where the next the next dollar of revenue is going to come from, and and then some smaller percentage put into evolutionary, and maybe an even smaller percentage in revolutionary, and of course those percentages may vary with the company and how much risk they're willing to take, but on average, that's probably the kind of portfolio that you're going to see. Mm-hmm. I think so. Other- go ahead. The other point related to that is not all people are good at all of those kinds of innovation. So there are certain people who love and are really, really good at incremental innovation. There's nothing wrong with that. There's no shame to that at all. It's it's necessary for every business. But those people aren't often that good at the disruptive innovation, maybe because they're very product-oriented and they're very kind of rooted in the present or even in the past. There are other people, and we've all met those kind of people, the ones who run around with their hair on fire, and those are the people who are great at disruptive innovation, and they are so bored with incremental innovation that they just they couldn't survive in a job doing that. So let's look at the kind of people you have as well. Mm. So what if you have decided that your company needs radical innovation, but you don't have the talent or the capacity to do so? What challenges do you have to overcome to get there, I think there are things that that you could do in that case. I mean, one would be to to bring in some help, um, and you know we've done this at, to many organizations where we help people within the organization who maybe don't have the skills, but they have motivation to be more innovative. We help them by sort of sort of training wheels for projects they're working on. And, and mentoring time, and that make a, a really big difference. Um, another thing that companies can do, as you mentioned earlier, is to acquire innovation from the outside. It can be, you know, as little as a patent or a, a, a product from the outside, or it could be a whole company, um, and bringing that inside. And again, that's a great way of bringing in new ideas rapidly, but, uh, it's you know it's risky in the sense that you have to have a strategy for being able to take those into the company and and make them successful within your company, and then there are many other models where organizations can uh, set up, as you mentioned, incubators or think tanks that are sometimes connected from the mainstream of the organization. So they might be called the lab or, you know, many companies call them them labs or, or incubators and sometimes they keep them outside the main campus of the organization or at least in, in a building that's slightly isolated so that the day-to-day concerns don't impact the work of that organization. And the challenge of that you still have a problem of how to adopt that innovation within the company. Right. So great ideas, they could still get killed by the rest of the organization if they can't absorb properly. So what do you do? What do you do? Well, there's no substitute for change of the organization. It doesn't have everything about the culture, but it certainly has increased the willingness to innovate. And sadly, it's done through pressure from the marketplace where companies are starting to fail and then they feel like, oh, well, we can't do the same thing we've been doing for the last 30 years. We better change. Well, since we're talking about radical innovation, we'll have to take a look at Apple. And I know that you have worked there for many years. What do you think is really unique about their innovation process? Well, I was there for 15 years, so it's a really long time by Silicon Valley standards. Is um, 
just the the great people that they have there and the the environment that encourages people to think differently about problems and probably the you know the iconic uh, person in that capacity was Steve Jobs who sadly isn't with us anymore and Steve just had a remarkable ability to envision the future and then to rally people behind him to actually achieve in many cases what people thought was impossible to achieve so um, I think that leadership is very important and it's very rare in corporations especially as they get bigger and Apple's a very big corporation at, at this point and um, you know leadership and maintaining that leadership I think is the single most important factor we were all on a mission to change the world that required thinking in a very different way from the rest of the world and that I think is a very powerful motivator Okay, so uh, we're going to take another break, and in the meantime, we'll, we'll try to see if we can fix the, the sound um, quality issue. Um, you're listening to Business Reinvention with Nancy Lin. For more information about our show, please follow me on Twitter at Business Reinvention, and we'll be back in two minutes. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now. Toll free. 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. In today's marketplace, your ability to open up the way you think and adapt to change allows your business to stay ahead of curve and perform at a higher level. At Change Agent SF, we can provide you with the tools and coaching to become an effective leader to grow your business. Contact us today at 415-322-9073 or email nancylin at info at changeagentsf.com for more information. Transform your leadership and business with Change Agent SF. Everybody needs expert advice when they look to develop their personal brand. Join Rochelle McCrary for The Leader and the Muse. Rochelle and her guests will bring you practical tips and tools to help you build your brand in ways that propel you into greater personal and business success. For strategies, stories, and much more, tune in to the Voice America Business Channel every Friday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time for The Leader and the Muse. And get ready to take your brand to the next level. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now. Toll free. 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Business Reinvention with Nancy Lynn. To join in on this week's discussion, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Now, back to Business Reinvention. All right. Um, we're getting a lot of great insight from Doug, um, but it looks like we just lost him. And uh, we're, trying to, we're, we're in the process of trying to get him back. Um, so let's just give it another um, 30 seconds or so um, for him to get back. Um, but if you have any questions, um, feel free to call in. Uh, and the number that was just given to you, uh, we'll be happy to share that with Doug as well. All right. Now, looks like Doug is back. Hi, Doug. Hi, Nancy. All right. Glad to have you back. Happy to be back. 
All right. So um, I know creating innovation process can be challenging, but implementation itself can be even more daunting. And um, one of the things you said about Apple is that they have really great talent. Um, so how do you go about picking a good team when you're ready to launch, say, an innovation initiative? And what are some of the other keys to successful implementation? Okay, great. Well, I'll talk a little bit in general about about the teams because I think it might apply to Apple as well as lots of other great organizations. Um, I think you, you want to find uh, people for a team who are extremely collaborative. We know that, that the best ideas and the best innovation comes out of collaboration rather than by individuals just working on their own. So this, this myth of the lone genius, the Einstein, is, is you know, something that's really a myth. I think that, that uh, you can't depend in companies on, on a genius. You have to depend on teams to do great work. So finding people who like to work on teams and aren't just totally egocentric is very important. The second thing I would say is finding people who really have very diverse interests in their life. So they're, they're not just, uh, let's say, a mechanical engineer or uh, a software programmer who only lives that day and night, but people who care about other things in their life, maybe art, maybe sports, can be almost anything. And we, and we find consistently that people who have lots of interests are more empathetic. And having empathy is a really great strength for innovation because empathy is one of the cores of innovation. Without empathy for the users and the other people in the, in the uh, stakeholders in whatever process you're innovating in, you're not going to be very successful. So I think finding those kind of people is, is really important. Then certainly... Um, Providing people with motivation to do what's required is very important. You know, Apple has always been a company where people work really hard, and I think you know working hard and pushing yourselves beyond what you even may perceive as your limits is something that's very important, and it takes a lot of management talent to do that. Motivating the teams, in the case of Apple, I think, and in many other great companies, it's based on people doing something that they really care about. It's not based on financial incentives alone. Now, certainly, you need to get paid for your work, and that's certainly a fair thing. But paying people for innovation, I think, has generally been shown to be a very bad idea. And so I'd suggest building on things that really matter to people and letting them work on projects that they really care about is something that's, that's really critically important. And then the team needs to have some air cover in the military sense. They need to have somebody looking down from above and making sure that they have the resources and the time um, that they need to, to do what's necessary to innovate. And that's often not the case because they get distracted by other things or when there's a, a crisis in quarterly earnings, they're asked to stop innovation and go back to the core business. And that, that may be okay. Um, in the short term, but the long term, you're not going to get any especially disruptive innovations from, from that kind of team. So I think the other, the other thing that's important in teams when you're building a team for innovation is to have diversity of skills on the team. We find that teams that have only one kind of skill, like all, uh, let's say, all um, chemists, they're probably not going to innovate as well as a team that might have some other kinds of people, let's say other scientists like physicists or engineers or people from other fields like marketing or sales. 
by having diverse teams, you get ideas from people's experiences that are diverse, and, and therefore you come up with ideas that you wouldn't normally get if you had a, a very homogenous team of innovators. So I think those are some of the key factors that, that, um, that are important for building a really high-performance innovation team. So networking and cross-pollination, like you said, are definitely crucial to innovation. And with social media, we are developing more connection than ever. Mm -hmm. Um, And also organizations, like you said, are participating in open innovation. And it's great to share knowledge, but it can be quite overwhelming, right? And and I think the ability to connect the dots in a very meaningful way it's also in an art, right? And not everybody yeah. has that. So what are some of the best practices in terms of synthesizing information so that they can be leveraged efficiently to drive innovation? Right, right. Well, I think there's both an art and a science to making sense of huge amounts of information. On the, the science side, there are, you know, this whole movement around big data is, is happening now, and many companies are really skillful at taking huge amounts of information about button clicks and, and uh, other kinds of behaviors and turning it into great insights that can help their business. So I think that, that certainly is something we all need to think about. On the other hand, though, um, in, on the kind of qualitative data side, it really takes skilled people to um, make sense out of, out of these diverse sources of data that we have available especially when you're observing human behavior, much like an anthropologist or a sociologist would do. Um, you have to have some skill to do that. And it's not a skill that most people can't learn, but you do need to have some, some, uh, a good teacher or a good role model to develop that. And, and I, can't, I can't overemphasize how important it is to have people who are really good to make sense out of a very divergent or seemingly divergent information, and I'm just awestruck when I see people who are incredibly good at that. Mm. So, of course, the other piece, um, you know, to the success is the leadership role, like you said, right? Yeah. And it's important for them to provide employees with inspiration, motivation, mm-hmm. and vision, right? And yeah. we all mm-hmm. know it's really hard to find another Steve Jobs. But uh-huh. how do you work with leaders so that they can provide? You know, all the things that we have learned from Apple and how can we replicate in some way to mm-hmm. develop that if they don't already have those skills? Right, right. Well, I wouldn't say, you know, that you should, that it would be wise for a company to try to find another Steve Jobs because I think Steve <laughs> was really, really unique and really a gift. But um, I would say that, that um, managers and leaders and companies, without having to, to you know, be another Steve can really make a huge difference, and it, it's not that complicated. It just really has a lot to do with listening to other people, listening to the voice of the customer and other key stakeholders like the middle middlemen and other others in distribution chains or decision makers, and then really um, allowing for. And this is probably the biggest thing that companies struggle with is allowing people to fail. Um, if you're going to innovate, you're going to have to have some broken dishes along the way. And if you're not willing to allow anyone to fail, you're never going to get any kind of innovation because people are just too risk averse. Mm-hmm. There are strategies that we could talk about to minimize the risk, but nevertheless, you have to be willing to fail. And what we like to say when it comes to innovation is if you can fail early and fail often, 
you can succeed a lot sooner. Well, so it's really about risk-taking, being open-minded and empathetic. Yeah, absolutely. And you, you have to take intelligent risks, but you have to uh, be willing to take a risk. And many companies, they just want everything to work out perfectly. And it's even worse in government organizations where, you know, they're, they're very risk-averse if they don't want to be criticized by anyone. And certainly in nonprofit organizations, I see that risk-averseness um, very often as well, where everything they do, every grant that they get has to be super successful, where we know that that's not always the case. And if it is the case, nobody's pushing the limits very much. Mm. So now let's take, uh, kind of change the subject a little bit sure. uh, and talk about technology. Um, what role oh. does it play in innovation? Well, I think technology can be very um, helpful and, and very instrumental in innovation. It can help uh, build a platform for employees and for people on the outside to collaborate, um, and it can provide incentives and, and rewards to people to innovate. So I, I think it's, it's quite important. There's also other technologies that we may not think of as much when it comes to innovation, but things like um, telepresence, video conferencing, mm, things like right. Skype and so on, things that bring people together in different ways and allow them to cross the borders of time and distance can make a huge impact when it comes to innovation. Mm. Um, so, so I think technology is pretty important, but you can innovate without it. And uh, it's, you know, it's nice to have, but I wouldn't say it's essential except when you're talking about open innovation where you really do need to have some technology to to uh, bring in all kinds of ideas and make sense of them. And so now a lot of big companies have geographically dispersed employees, and I would yes. imagine that makes it even more challenging to, in, to, to innovate, though I have to say it does provide a lot of diversity. On the yeah. other hand, um, so are there um, elements that you have to pay special attention to um, when you're in that situation? Yeah, I think um, when you have very diverse employees and employees that are all over the world, there are some great benefits, but I think there's a lot of risk in, in that, too. I think part of it is that employees who are all over the place feel like they have to schedule meetings to talk to each other, and oftentimes it takes a week to schedule a meeting, and it's very hard to move quickly in that kind of situation. Some companies um, have, have tried things like desktop video conferencing solutions that are always on, so you can actually see your colleagues in a faraway country, at least when you're in the same time zone, and you can just uh, talk to them as if they're someone sitting next to you at a desk. And uh, we experimented with that at IDEO, and it was quite interesting. So I think there are ways to, to make up for it, but overall I think it's very important for teams to get together and get to know each other as they kick off innovation projects, and then it's much easier for them to work remotely. But I haven't found a substitute for people actually being together physically and, and working together in that way, at least some of the time. And, and I think last year you wrote an article about your experience at IDEO of creating a collaborative system. And one of the things you mentioned in that article is that technology alone does not foster collaboration, and That's sometimes right. it can create nearly as many barriers to collaboration as they enable. Can you elaborate on that and give us some advice on how we can use technology mindfully to get the results that we want? Sure. Um, yeah, many companies, I'd say probably the majority of big companies these days, have collaboration systems in place, like a very dominant one, it would be SharePoint. 
And um, what I've seen over and over again is that these systems are put in place without really any regard for the culture of the organization or what employees really care about, and oftentimes not even much in the way of goals or clarity about what innovation should be about within that organization. And therefore, nobody uses these tools. Then on top of it, many of the tools are hard to access. They require special passwords and other kinds of of, uh, obstacles that people have to jump through many, many hurdles to use them. Oftentimes, they have ugly interfaces, and people just aren't willing to do it. If the technology isn't as good as what we use at home, things like Facebook and Google Plus and so on, people just aren't going to use it at work. So uh, I think that's that's an issue they face as well. And there's there's lots more we could talk about for, for hours about building these collaboration tools. But I'd say working in the way people like to work, building on the things that really motivate people, and... Um, and removing all the obstacles to participation are really essential. Great. Okay. It looks like it's time for another break. You are listening to Business Reinvention. We'll be back in two minutes. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. In today's marketplace, your ability to open up the way you think and adapt to change allows your business to stay ahead of curve and perform at a higher level. At Change Agent SF, we can provide you with the tools and coaching to become an effective leader to grow your business. Contact us today at 415-322-9073 or email nancylin at info at changeagentsf.com for more information. Transform your leadership and business with Change Agent SF. Bob Pritchard has over 30 years of experience as a straight-talking business consultant and author working with some of the top Fortune 500 companies. Now he's come to the Voice America Business Channel to help you and your business. Tune in to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show for information about starting and successfully running a profitable business. From the movers and shakers to great marketing screw-ups, you can't afford to miss a single edition of the Bob Pritchard Radio Show, Tuesdays at 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Business. Stocks, bonds, investment opportunities, financial news, and talk. We can help. Call us now toll-free, 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Business Reinvention with Nancy Lynn. To join in on this week's discussion, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Now, back to Business Reinvention. So, Doug, you have given us a lot of advice about innovation. Um, so if a listener is ready to focus on innovation now, what are some of the key questions they should ask themselves and what are the steps Maybe they can mm-hmm. follow to kind of set it up. Okay, great. Well, I think um, the main thing they should ask themselves is, why do they want to innovate? And, you know, what would they like to achieve? I, innovation, unfortunately for many companies, has become a kind of buzzword, sort of like the way quality was in the 1980s, where companies were worried about the quality of their products, especially the auto industry, 
and their first reaction was to put up posters on the cafeteria wall that said quality is number one. And, of course, that didn't have any impact on quality. So I think uh, companies really need to kind of take a serious look at themselves and see, you know, what are they trying to achieve? It's not just to check the box that we're innovative. It's to have some kind of impact. And what is that impact and in what time frame? And then they have to also think about are they willing to make the investment of time and money that it takes to create an innovative organization. And, and you know, you have to be patient with that. It's not something that happens overnight, even if you buy another company that has great ideas. So I think those are, you know, two of the main concerns that companies should think about first. In terms of the innovation process itself, there are a lot of different variations on the process, but I like to think of a very simple innovation process that starts with the the whole um, area that I would call inspiration. And inspiration is all about listening to and observing the people that we're creating innovations for. Sadly, this is something that isn't done very much, especially in big companies, where oftentimes engineers and others aren't even allowed to go out and talk to customers because they're worried that they may spill a secret or they may annoy the customer and they won't buy the product. And therefore, they get pretty isolated. And I'd say if you're just sitting in your cubicle or your office with the door closed and you're not out observing your customers or potential customers, you're not going to be able to innovate. So I think inspiration is really key. There's lots of methods there, but the uh, the qualitative kind of anthropologist, anthropologist-like um, uh, method, I think, is, is a very, very helpful method. It's relatively inexpensive and can be done pretty quickly. So usually once we get inspired about a problem and we really understand the problems that our customers or users are facing, then we usually go into cycles of, of um, ideation or brainstorming. And brainstorming would be the key tool that we use there. And we would probably bring together groups from internal to the company as well as external to the company and using a variety of methods help, help create some new ideas even some crazy ideas, because in creating crazy ideas, we help ourselves think differently about problems. And many times, we can build on those crazy ideas and turn them into really exceptionally great ideas. And so we may go through many, many cycles of coming up with ideas and and getting feedback on them. And that brings us to the final step in this simplistic model of um, implementation. So implementation really can begin on the first day of a project by building very inexpensive and fast, low-fidelity prototypes. So in the example of software, it might be a storyboard that was hand-drawn on a piece of paper, or it might be a stack of pieces of paper that look like an interface, and you can walk a potential user through the experience and get feedback on that. And, And I find that the most successful innovators are ready to prototype very early in the process, and, and they do what we call um, building to think. So by building things and testing them and getting feedback, we learn a lot more, and it helps our thinking much better than the opposite, which many big companies do, which is they think way too long about problems and then build it way at the end when it's far too late to make any changes. And anyway, nobody in the company at that point would tell you that your baby is ugly you have to go ahead with launching something that may not be as good as it can be. So um, 
the, the key uh, skills, I think, in the implementation process are prototyping skills and testing skills to get feedback from users. That, again, can be very qualitative, done with small samples, but can be very rich in giving you great um, insights. And then, finally, storytelling, I think, is really important as a skill. And that may not sound like something you do in a business, but it's actually a very important skill, being able to take ideas, turn them into really compelling stories, and share them with with the decision makers. And doing that, those who are, are good at doing that, are very able to get decisions made quickly and to move projects along rapidly, which is very, very important when it comes to innovation. Because if you're not innovating, probably one of your competitors is. Yeah, that's a great template to follow for sure. Um, so I'm curious, what are some of the new um, practices or approaches that companies are using? Um, for example, we had discussed biomimicry a couple yeah. of times on our show, and both programs actually generated a lot of interest from the audience. I'm just curious as to its adoption rate um, in the real world, and is it appropriate for all types of innovation challenges? Well, um, <clears throat> I don't know that it would be appropriate for every kind of innovation, but um, you know, the nice thing about biology is that it's evolved over millions of years, and so it's adapted in all kinds of, of clever ways. And by studying those, I think we can often come up with new solutions to, uh, to problems in the world of things that we build and not just the, the living world. So I, I'd say that biomimicry, at least in the innovation field, is becoming more and more popular. And I know many companies in manufacturing are adopting, you know, things, for example, glues and cements that come from the biological world, um, ways of dealing with pollution and, and eliminating toxins from the environment and so on. There's a lot of really great inspiration there. So I wouldn't say that it's appropriate all the time, but I'd say it's appropriate probably far more, uh, more of the time than companies are currently using biomimicry, and part of it is that the field is kind of young, and there aren't many people practicing it at this point, but I'm sure that'll change. Mm -hmm. Um, There's a lot of other things, too, that another practice I would call analogous observations um, is really something that is very simple to do and extremely powerful, and um, oftentimes, you know, when we're looking at one set of problems, we'll look at it and say, gee, what what characteristics does this problem have that are similar to other problems that other industries or other organizations are facing? And then we'll try to go out and observe those kinds of things. So, you know, for example, with something related to, let's say, healthcare, you might be able to look at some analogous consumer products or services and to get some great ideas there as a way of cross-fertilizing ideas from one field to another. And I found that to be incredibly inspiring for people because oftentimes we're so narrow in our expertise and we don't work in diverse teams that we just don't know what other people are doing and they don't know what we're doing. And by coming together, we can learn from each other. So I'd say that's that's another method that's getting more and more popular. Um. So we have about a minute to close, and I wonder what you think are the emerging trends uh, that will shape innovation, say, 10 years from now. Hmm. Well, I'd say that because of the increasing pace of competition in the world, and this is truly a global phenomenon, that 
companies are compelled to innovate. By, by standing still, you're actually falling backwards. And I, I think most companies have realized that by now, um, although they're not all practicing it at this point. So I'd say that's, that's kind of number one in terms of a trend. The second trend, I think, is really deeply understanding the, the people that a company is creating products and services for. And again, this can be not just a commercial company, but a nonprofit or a government agency or an educational agency. They're all creating products and services. And so really understanding the user and understanding their needs, especially their unmet needs, um, the, their feelings, um, their aspirations, and so on, that's critically important. And I think that's becoming more and more popular. And then finally, I'd say companies are starting to balance this perspective of looking at people and looking with looking at their business, which they've always looked at in financial terms, and technology. So by balancing technology, people, and uh, business, I think we find innovations that are far more likely to succeed than if we just have a stool with only one or two legs that only looks at people or business or technology. Mm, great insight. I wish we had more time, but it looks like that's Me all too. the time we have. Um, thank you so much for the valuable lessons on innovation today, and thanks for joining us. My pleasure. Thanks so much, Nancy. Take care. Take care. Um, so it's time to say goodbye, um, but thank you for tuning in today. I'll be back here again next Monday at 4 p.m. Pacific time, and I hope to talk to you again then. Take care. We hope that you've enjoyed Business Reinvention with Nancy Lynn. Please join us for another edition of our groundbreaking program next Monday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. We hope you'll find the inspiration for change over the coming week.